Welcome to Newsmakers on CHCH Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Butko, and on today's show, I'm very pleased to be welcoming back on the show political analyst Keith Leslie to check in on a very busy couple of weeks it has been down at Queen's Park. And uh, Keith, I joked off the top, you are our first returning guest to Newsmakers, so either we're doing something right to have you back on uh, more than once, so thank you for doing that. I want to jump right into it, though, because uh, the NDP riding of Hamilton Centre, uh, the, the association is going to meet tonight, and they're going to call for two things. They're going to call for the NDP to put Sarah Jama back in the caucus, and they're going to ask Marit Stiles for a leadership review for herself. Uh, how, what do you make of this situation as it stands right now? I think it's unfortunate for the NDP and for Marit Stiles as, as the new leader uh, to be you know, dealing with this issue at a time when the Ford government is clearly on the defensive on so many issues and really you know, should be the subject of a main attack by the official opposition. But the official opposition is, I say, you know, busy dealing with its own internal issues. Uh, to the point of your question, though, I think um, it would be wrong for the association, uh, the local riding association, to call for a review of Styles' leadership. But it would be correct, I think, to request that Styles and the rest of the NDP caucus reconsider admitting Sarah Jama back into their caucus. I mean, she's been silenced by the progressive conservatives in the legislature itself. But, you know, she was elected duly by the people of Hamilton Center less than a year ago. They knew her politics going in. So I think the NDP should find a way that they can work with her. I know she violated, you know, some internal agreements and kept speaking out when they, she had promised to go through the leader's office first. But, you know, in the end, she's, she's entitled to have her voice. She was elected to be able to have her say. So I think they should bring her back into caucus and then work with her to some degrees to see if they can get Premier Ford and the Conservative government to back down and actually let her have her voice in the legislature and speak in the legislature again. We've, we've talked to some people about this issue and have, have talked about how this is the result of what happens, you know, these, these calls for leadership reviews. This is what happens when you run unopposed and you're acclaimed as a leader. What do you think Marit Stiles is learning about this when it comes to her own leadership style? I, I trust the NDP aren't going to make a major change going into 2026. I don't know. But what do you think she has learned in the last year about this incident? That running unopposed did her no good didn't benefit her at all, and it didn't benefit the party. We see the Liberals having their leadership race right now. They've signed up 100,000 new members. I mean, that's huge for them. And it's because they've had a leadership race with five members going around the province debating each other, generating some interest, generating new members. The NDP had none of that because Merit Stiles ran a claim. She just became the NDP leader. So I think there's still, to this day, a great many Ontarians waking up, oh, she's the leader of the official opposition. You know, if you're not in Hamilton and you, know, you didn't know that uh, Andrea Horvath became the mayor and is no longer the leader of the opposition, a lot of people, she just doesn't have the name recognition that the new Liberal leader, whoever it be, may be, and it looks like it's probably going to be Bonnie Grumby, is going to have far more name recognition than the NDP of leader of the official opposition already has. Yeah. Um, where where does she go from here? How does she move past this? Is it just as simple as putting Sarah Jama back into caucus? Uh, because, you know, if that happens, you know that that's going to be a, a talking point for the PCs. And it's not going to be simple either. Uh, you have to get Sarah Jama to agree to some sort of hmm. behavior within the constraints of caucus. Caucuses need to be united on these issues, on any issues, really, that they're going forward on. And so she needs to agree to some sort of caucus discipline or she won't get back into the NDP caucus. Uh, where does Styles go from here? How does she deal with it as leader? I think just to be a strong leader and, you know, show some flexibility on the JAMA case. But if JAMA won't agree, as I say, to some strict rules about her behavior, quite frankly, and sticking to the caucus uh, party line on issues, 
then she won't get back in. So this will, you know, right now, Styles has to be able to move past this as quickly as possible, especially when we've got, you know, the Ford government under an RCMP investigation, uh, all these other things, the, the uh, injunction sought against the, the work at Ontario Place, trying to grind that to a halt right away. There's so much the government is on the defensive about, and yet we have the official opposition, as I say, tied up dealing with this same issue, which really, let's face it, has very, very little to do with Ontario politics. Uh, you mentioned it, Ontario Place for All, uh, you know, filing an injunction to stop construction at the uh, the Thermi Spa there at Ontario Place. How does the PCs sell this? How does Doug Ford's government sell this, knowing their reputation of the last four, few years? How do they really get people to buy into it? Or is that too far gone? I think it's too far gone. I mean, right off the bat, as soon as we heard it was a 95-year lease to Thermae, an Austrian spa company none of us had ever heard of before for prime Toronto waterfront land, it immediately brought to mind, of course, the, the sale of Highway 407 or the 99-year lease hmm. of Highway 407, giving away billions of dollars in profits that the taxpayers would have had. Uh, here we are, again, a 95-year secret lease. We don't know any of the details. We don't know where Thermae is getting its funding. Uh, and this junction was filed because the government isn't agreeing to its own rules to hold an environmental assessment of the project. The government says, well, you know, that, that, that Thermae is a private entity, so we did an environmental assessment of the parts that are public. Well, there's no way this Thermae spa isn't part of the public uh, uh, project because the government is dictating the lands. The government is building a $450 million parking garage for Thermae. All of this. Uh, this is why the injunction is being filed now. They want to stop them from tearing down, uh, cutting down. 850 trees uh, that they're going to, they agreed they'll plant a few more on the roof of the new complex once they can, you know, once they get the, it's just insanity. how they expect to sell this to people? Well, there's zero transparency. We know very, very little about it. Is a spa county likely to last 95 years? Hmm. I mean, it's just an astronomical suggestion. And of course, a lot of people, there's a lot of speculation that this whole thing with Thermae is a front to get a casino on the waterfront. But all of it just smells to high heaven at this point. And I think for a great many people, I don't know how the Conservatives can stick to it without at least opening up and showing us the details of that contract. Well, the Auditor General is conducting, will be conducting an audit on, on this, on the, the moving of the Ontario Science Centre as well. Where do you think they'll be looking? What do you think is, you know, follow the dirt, see where it goes? Where would they start, do you think? Well, I think they're going to start at this thing that I've just been mentioning. Can we have a look at that 95-year hmm. lease? Can we see the financing that's behind Thermae? Where are they getting the money for this? And why is anyone thinking that it needs a 95-year lease? Yes, they're investing some money, but the amount of public money going into this to build a parking garage, when as so many people have pointed out, across the street, just across Lakeshore Boulevard, at the CNE grounds, there's something like 6,000 parking spots already there. Moving the spa across the, the, the street to that location would be so much less destructive, especially to the West Island of Ontario place. And again, looking at, is there a business case for moving the Ontario Science Centre, cutting it in half in size and moving it, squeezing it into the pods at Ontario place? I don't think we've seen a business case in that. In fact, I know we haven't, especially when across the street, we see the, the new Eglinton LRT uh, stop, the, uh, the, the uh, Science Centre stop right there. It's a big, you know, big building. Uh, and, of course, the Science Center, they want to move it out. So they really, you know, it just makes it look like they're making these plans up on the fly, which I think gives the Auditor General a lot to really look into and dig into and go, well, 
why were you building a, a, a science center LRT stop across the street from the science center you plan to move? Just those basic questions, but there's so much more. And so I think there's a lot to be had in there. And remember, the science center itself is on, I think, a 99-year lease of land uh, to the city. So all of this, just these super long leases, if it's a public entity like the science center, I think people are comfortable with it. If it's a private spa from Austria, I don't think most taxpayers are at all comfortable with this idea. Yeah, and a lot of taxpayers as well talking about just some of the, the green land that has been taken away, some of the park land that's going to be taken away at, at the uh, Ontario waterfront. Uh, and that brings us into another issue the Ontario government is dealing with, and that's the green belt. And they have made mm-hmm. the, the, the claim that they are going to be putting all the land back, but it's a bill, so it's going to have to go through the steps, and one of those steps is is a review. And and in that review, uh, Minotaur Holdings has said uh, that they want to be excluded. They said it was a mistake that they were initially put on back in 2005. This seems like it could open up a pretty big can of worms for the Ontario government. Well, apparently this particular parcel, remember when the government is, is backtracking now on its original removal of 7,400 hectares of land. There were 15 parcels of land. 14 of them were picked and selected by the uh, former chief of staff to the housing minister, the then housing minister, Steve Clark. The 15th was this this parcel of land that Minotaur owns in Markham. And apparently it was set to come out in uh, the 10-year review of the Greenbelt in 2015. But for some reason, it didn't come out then. It apparently is quite different to the other 14 so they're, of course, uh, talking with their lawyers. They're saying that, you know, this, this land shouldn't be uh, maintained in the green belt. It doesn't have any features of the rest of the green belt lands. Uh, so this may prove to be a bit of a headache for the government. But as you say, this, this legislation has to go through a process. Part of the process for this bill, and this bill is to put back all 15 parcels of land into the green belt and to make it more difficult for any future governments to access these lands and make them open for development. Well, where do they go from here? Hmm. Seriously, the government is, is, is trying to push this so far, and yet this, this very legislation exempts them from lawsuits, which, you know, they're, they're clearly facing. It just, it makes so little sense for them to be giving these developers so much of a hand over them. And this issue, I mean, let's face it, the Greenbelt issue, the lands are still, you know, they're being put back in. But there's still a lot of uh, concern about the municipal boundaries that were forced to expand. The government's backing down on that. And the RCMP is looking into all of this as well. So this is just an ultimate disaster for the Ford government. And yet the legislation that's supposed to the first stage of the process is it goes to a committee. And a committee is normally where you would have public hearings. Hmm. And this government, though, has decided that there will be one hour of public hearings. And that hour will be taken up by the housing minister, Paul Calandra. There will be no members of the public allowed to speak to this bill The government does not want to hear anything, any criticism of it. And Premier Doug Ford's response to the criticism of the fact you're not holding public hearings, he said, the public doesn't give two hoots about the green belt. I think that just shows his disdain still at this point in the game, even though he's backtracking, he's promising to strengthen the green belt. He has zero respect for the green belt itself or for the the fact that these are protected lands. Keith, I feel like two months ago, you and I were sitting here and he was saying the exact opposite. Was he not? Wasn't he saying he had heard the concern? He had heard the feedback of of his of residents of Ontario. How does he get so quickly from, hey, you, you were right. We made a mistake. We screwed up to nobody cares, actually. Like, how does he get to those two points in two months? I don't think he ever really was uh, on side. He, he heard the people, but I don't think he really believed the people. I think Doug Ford firmly believes in the concept of landowner rights, quite frankly. And he thinks these landowners should be able to do whatever they want with their lands. And the idea of protecting them from development and protecting them, you know, farmlands from being passed down through families unless they stay as a farm. 
he doesn't agree with this in his heart of hearts. And so that's when he, you know, just disdainfully just says the public doesn't give two hoots about this. Well, that, of course, is great for the people who are opposed to this because it just fires them all up and say, we give more than two hoots about this. This is extremely serious to all of us. And didn't you just see this by having to back down so dramatically on your government's major housing priority? And what we've seen over the basically is at least a year wasted in getting houses built. So in all of this, I mean, we've we spent the first uh, most of this show talking about, you know, issues that the Ford government is dealing with. Uh, Innovative Research on October 22nd says uh, out of their sample of 1,300, 41% say they'd vote for the uh, PCs again, 26 for the NDP, 25 for the Liberal. That's a plus 15 uh, PCs. Abacus, uh, a, a week earlier, says 40% would vote. That's a plus 16 for the PCs. This doesn't seem to be affecting them at all. Well, it did. I think what really affected the most of the public, though, was the, the climb down on September 21st, the backtracking, where he came out of Niagara Falls with the whole of the cabinet standing behind him, all looking pretty glum, and saying, we made a mistake. I should have listened to you now. I'm hearing you now. We're going to put this all back. That shot, that, they were down, as you say, like around 30% in the polls. That shot them right back up to 40%, which, as we all know in Ontario, is majority government territory. So the government has learned, you know, and we've seen Premier Ford backtrack on other issues before. This one as well. He was warned many times that his policy was, you know, was, was hurting people and, and, and benefiting others at the expense of, of uh, the majority. And he just didn't seem to care. Now he has to care about it. But in the end, his beliefs are still the same. I want to talk about uh, the the Ontario Liberal leadership race. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. We were talking about Marit Stiles. But um, we've had uh, three of the four candidates on this show. Bonnie Crombie has declined her invitation a a few times by ignoring it. But we have talked to Ted Hsu and Nader Skin-Smith and Yasir Nakvi. Uh, This weekend, obviously a big weekend for Ontario Liberals. How do you see this race shaking out? You mentioned Crombie looks like the favorite. But could you see it playing out in any other way? At this point, it seems that she's definitely, if there's going to be a first ballot victory, it's absolutely hers. And even for second or third ballot, I I don't see any one of the other three coming up close to her. I think she'll get to that 50% plus one fairly quickly, if not exactly on on the first ballot. I think we're seeing her run a a front runner's campaign by not agreeing to be interviewed by you. (laughs) I agree. If you're out in front, don't sit down for these interviews. Uh, And I think that tells you she, you know, A, does not need the media exposure and B, does not want to be tripped up on anything. Not that you're trying to trip her up but you know if we don't need to go out in front of the media we won't do it and of course we, we look back to premier ford for two elections in a row didn't even run a media campaign on his election re-elections he had the you know if you wanted to follow him you had to follow along in your own car there was no media bus uh so this is absolutely a front runner's campaign uh and i think as i say a hundred thousand new members for the liberals the new democrats would 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 kill for those kind of membership numbers so i think what we're going to see as of you know december 2nd when a new liberal leader is elected uh, all of a sudden, we've got two viable alternative governments in waiting, not just the New Democrats, uh, who, quite frankly, held the official opposition status for uh, two elections down, going into a third one in, in 2026. Will they be able to present themselves as much as an alternative government as the resurging liberals will? It, it's a real question at this point, but at least there will be two alternative parties to Doug Ford at that point. But will they split the vote? Hmm. Well, Ted Hsu uh, is the only one who is currently an MPP. So what would the next steps be if it's not Ted Hsu? What would you what, what would you expect the Liberals to do to to get their leader out in front? Would you expect them to, to have somebody step down for a by-election right away? Or, or do they go into 2026 without a seat? I think they either wait for a very safe riding 
Uh, they don't do a John Tory and pick a couple writings in which he can't win in. They wait for a very safe seat or they wait until 2026 and just have that leader touring the province all the time, meeting with local media and meeting with local uh, members of their party, just getting them, you know, engaged. Uh, if you can get 100,000 signed up members, that means you can get volunteers to really be out working for your campaign and to engage and, and, and motivate the volunteers. You have to get out and meet them. So in some ways, it's an advantage not to be in the legislature every day. But you don't get the, the publicity of the Toronto media focus that you get at Queen's Park. But you get a lot higher in the news when you go to the different local communities around the, the province and, and get yourself well known to people. So, so maybe if Bonnie Crombie wins next week, then she'll agree uh, to do our, our little <laughs> show here. Because uh, I think it's important because, you know, we, we talked about Marit Stiles and just how far 2026 is and how these issues are, are going to have to be keeping uh, coming up. And the RCMP investigation, a great example of there's nothing they can do about it. It's still going to be in the news until that's settled. But what, what do the Liberals do to, to get back in a relevancy? You mentioned the 100,000 members. How do they use these next? two years to position themselves. And we know that Doug Ford seems pretty scared that it was going to be Bonnie Crombie. You know, he put out that release right away about how she's abandoning Mrs. Saga. How, how do you see the next two years playing out uh, between these three parties here? Well, I think what we're going to see is the, the uh, Liberals really uh, rivaling the Conservatives to some degree in fundraising. And let's face it, when you're going into the election campaign in 2026, it's going to be about who has the most money to spend. The Ford Conservatives going for a third election, that's always a tough sell. You know, two consecutive elections tends to be enough for uh, uh, most uh, Ontarian voters. And we'll also have the likelihood, you know, if we see in Ottawa that they, they elect a Conservative government there, Ontarians like to have a different government at Queen's Park than they see in Ottawa. So there's a lot of different things that could play out. As I say, the Conservatives, until the RCMP actually uh, announces either the results of an investigation or says that their investigation is concluded and there's nothing further to be said, that's going to hang over the government all the time. And at the same time, we also have the Auditor General looking into both Ontario Place and the Science Centre. There's so many investigations that are still going on, and when they can compel documents to be released, we find out more and more and more. So as we learned during the, the, the uh, forced boundary expansion of municipalities, when we got to a couple of court cases in these, we started finding out about all these emails going directly from uh, developers to the staff at the or to political staff uh, of the conservative government and getting the lands they want to remove. So is there more of this favoritism kind of thing going on? All of this is going to just hang over the government, as is the allegation of corruption, until the Mounties finally decide one way or the other if they're going forward. What do you think the first thing, and not to put you in this headspace, but what do you think the first thing Doug Ford thinks of when he wakes up? What, 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 if you were in his shoes and, and, and just looking at the landscape, what would concern you the most when you wake up? That my message isn't getting through, that I do lots of really good things and people just don't appreciate it. I'm sure from his point of view, I mean, there's not going to be teacher strikes this year. Hmm. That's significant. And they've got, you know, deals with all the teacher unions pretty much now. That's a huge achievement for any government of any stripe in this province, because those are always difficult ones. That's a big, you know, it, it, I don't think he feels he gets the credit for what it does. And he feels the media are just obsessed. You know, he wants to naturally... I don't want to look back on the green belt. I want to look forward, he says. Well, of course he wants to look forward because the most of us want to know what the rest of those details are. Just how bad was this? It smells really bad, this whole green belt land selection. How bad was it? It cost you two cabinet ministers, two senior staff. 
people really want to know. I think these details are going to be there. So this government is still going to have to deal with this no matter what. Uh, and, you know, Mike Crowley, CBC, this week reporting that uh, he wants to go after. So, I mean, this is the guy who ran on Buck a Beer, right? He, of course he wants to get beers in the corner stores. We know the situation. We know the contracts with the beer stores. Is this just he really wants to bring this message of booze everywhere in the next election? What do you make of, of Mike Crowley's uh, report today? Well, the timing absolutely, as Mike Crowley points out from CBC, the timing would just spell right into the 2026 election because they have to give, and they're basically giving a two-year notice that this master framework agreement with Brewers Retail, uh, they're getting out of it. That's going to be the end of it. Will that mean the end of Brewers Retail? Who knows? Will the grocery stores, you know, will will Weston and Company <laughs> be able to get, you know, even more products on their shelves? And, and you know, can they start selling 12-packs, two-fours, all that kind of stuff? Can they start selling... Uh, spirit-based coolers, you know, vodka coolers and that sort of thing, because they're packaged pretty much the same way, you know, beer is. Uh, who's going to get more of the profits? Was the distribution going to... There's so many questions in all of this. And I guess the the, the very last line of, of Mike Crawley's story uh, was quoting one in the industry saying, at the end of all this, can it be done cheaper than it is currently? I doubt it. And that's one question. So how much are we going to make this up? Uh, will we be able to protect... Ontario craft brewers, will they be able to get some shelf space? What about the small wineries? Will this affect spirits? Will it affect the LCBOs? Because uh, they have a markup right now of something like 114% on Ontario wines. Can that be dealt with? Can the wineries open more? Stores? So I think Doug Ford absolutely wants to liberalize, he would never use that word, but <laughs> modernize perhaps uh, Ontario's liquor laws. And um, it's absolutely a great distraction for a government on the ropes because you know, beer and corner stores, is, you know, we've already got it to some degree, but expanding it everywhere and expanding the number of products available, I think would absolutely engage the public to a, a much stronger degree than they get in many issues. Buck a beer. That was that was basically all I can remember about that campaign a few years ago. Buck a beer, right? And, well, and what and you, happened? There was two, two breweries who took part in that? Three, absolutely. I think, at the end and of the day? Just so you know, that buck a beer idea came from CHCH producer Randy Rath. He threw it at him one day and it came right back. Yeah, that's a good idea. Randy Rath, he'll, he'll appreciate the shout out, Keith. I'm sure he will. Uh, I really appreciate your insights as always. Lots going on here. Uh, if, if I don't see you, I know we've had you before, but if I don't see you, I know it's getting quick before Christmas and New Year's. Happy New Year's and uh, thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate Same it. Same to you, my friend. Same to awesome. you. Take care. That is Keith Leslie. My thanks to him for joining me today and my thanks to you as well because we could not do the show without your support. So make sure you like and subscribe to CHCH Podcast wherever you found this episode. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube, or you can go to chch.com slash podcast. That's all for us here today. My thanks to Chantel Grillo for directing today's show. And one more time, my thanks to you from all of us here at CHCH. I'm Louis Butko. Have a great day.